Turn with me to Mark chapter 4. Mark's Gospel chapter 4. It's obviously for a reason all the time when we bring God's Word. And I believe it's for... There's a little bit of theology in this. It's not heavy. There's a little bit of... Uh, looking at the Scriptures and seeing the, the wonder of Christ and everything. There's a little bit of... Uh, Instruction, and there's a little bit also of devotion. So let's look at Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, verse 35, please. And the same day, when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship, and there were also with him other little ships. Mark that. With him also other little ships. There rose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. But he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow, and they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind, and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? Why is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's pray, Father. We thank you this morning, even in our prayer meeting before this service. Again, as always, we ask you to come and to mark it with your presence. And in your faithfulness, you've done it again. So, Father, we now ask you to take your own word. Holy Spirit, take it and wing it to every heart. And, Lord, you speak. You speak as you deem fit to speak. For salvation is of the Lord. And we're kept, Lord, by you. We're kept, Lord, in all of our ways by you. And we thank you for your great grace and your mercy. We thank you, Father, for who you are. Glorify your Son, we pray. In his name we ask it this morning. Amen. I want to entitle this, Common Grace on Other Little Ships. I'll say it again. Common Grace on Other Little Ships. We might have to do two mornings at it. We'll see how we get on. As we looked at the last couple of Meetings when we talked of Jesus, master of the wind and the waves. And we've seen how he calms the storm and the waters coming into the boat. And we looked at how our lives are like that sometimes. We feel we're sinking. And it's only Christ can save us from that. But notice we talked about the authority of the word of God. Whenever the Lord says, let us pass over onto the other side. In verse 35 of our reading, his word was spoken, it will not return unto him void. So those disciples could get into the ship and go across, no matter what height the storm was, no matter how tall the waves became, no matter how hard the wind blew, no matter the raging of it and the torrents of it, they would have made it because Christ had spoken it. The word of God had went out, it had went forth, and they had to just walk in it. Have faith in it and believe it. 
But we know, being humans ourselves, you know, things may fear us, things may come against us, and our faith may become very little, and the fear might become very great. And we looked at how the Lord came and stilled the waves, or the wind and the waves, and, and as he spoke to them, peace be still, and of course it was calmed. But this morning I want to look at other little ships. Notice what it says here in verse 36. At the bottom of the verse it says, and there were also with him other little ships. Now it doesn't tell us if these ships were with him and why they were with him, I should say. It doesn't tell us what reason they were with him. Were they followers? Were they disciples? Were they people just chasing after him? But there were other little ships who followed into the sea with him. We aren't told when he comes to the other side uh, of the Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Gennesaret, as it's called sometimes, we aren't told that when, we come, when they come there, that they're there. We aren't told that they make it, if you want. We aren't told of, do they turn back again when the storm comes? We aren't told anything. But I would say that if they were to sink, I'm sure the Holy Spirit would have marked it that those ships would sink. So we don't know what happened to them. But this is something that we must look at, these other little ships Maybe they were followers of Christ, or maybe they were the ones who eventually would leave him when he started to give them hard teaching. And that's what happens sometimes when the Lord starts laying things on people's lives and in their hearts. This saying is too hard for us, they said. Who can hear it? And they start to go away from him when he starts talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And he's speaking it in the spirit not literally. And whenever he's saying this, they're saying, we, we can't hear this. We can't take this in. We don't want to know this. And so they, they start walking away. In other words, the, the word wasn't grounded in them. They weren't real true disciples. For Jesus then asked his disciples, will ye go away also? Are you going to leave me too? And Peter turns and says to him, Lord, to whom else will we go? For thou hast the words of eternal life. In other words, Peter says, Lord, I've nothing to go back to. In other words, when a man and a woman truly come to saving faith in Christ, the word will never satisfy you again. The word will never satisfy you. You'll never be happy in the world. And I remember when I was in the world and doing all the things of the world, I often thought that if I was ever ever a Christian, which I thought I would never be a Christian, but I thought if I became a Christian, well, you know, uh, I would only hanker for these things every moment of every day and I would fail all the time. But really that wasn't the case. Christ changes the nature. Christ changes the desire. Christ puts his spirit within you and he gives you the grace and he keeps you every day. Yes, there's temptation, and yes, there's trial, and yes, there's turbulence, and yes, there's trouble. But with Christ in the vessel, we can smite at the storm. You see, sometimes when the Word comes and the Lord lays a finger through His Word on a heart, now I challenge you to give me that. It's as though the Lord says it and he wants to take something off you and his hands behind his back and you can't see what he has. I want you to surrender to me. I want you to put your trust in me. I want you to lay all your hope in me. 
It's as though he has his hand behind his back. And the Lord isn't saying to you to rest in him and hope in him and put your trust in him with a hand behind his back so that when you do, he takes out a sword and slays you or he takes out a stick to beat you. No, but rather he takes out something greater for you. We can't see beyond the I want that stage from you. Yield it to me. Crucify that flesh. We can't see past that because in this natural realm of ours, we need the Holy Spirit to show us the spiritual realm of God. So I don't know about these ships. Were they the ones who weren't really saved? I don't know. You know, there's a ship of religion that many people sail in today. There's a ship of denomination that many people are sailing in today. There's a ship of addiction. That's a, it's a horrible ship. And many sail in life in this ship. There's a sin, a, a sin ship. And Christ wants to bring you to sonship. There's a, a ship of, of the backslidden church. There's a ship of apostasy. And other little ships may even sail nearer. They may sail close. And whatever ship it is, I can't pinpoint every one. And maybe you're on a ship of doubt, ship of lack of faith, or whatever ship it is. But, you know, there are those outside of this place. And, and if you're a child of God, you're safe, you're saved, you're secure in Christ. But maybe you have got out of his ship and into another thinking, I'll follow afar off like Peter has. And maybe you've denied him like Peter did. Maybe you've betrayed him. Maybe you've ran from him. And maybe you're in someone else's ship and not in the one which Christ is in this morning. And you're in another little ship. God calls you from that ship and says you're in the wrong one. And I'll tell you why. Because those who are not in Christ, whether they're religious or denominationalized or whatever they are, whether they're in deep-dyed sin or full of addictions of things, whether they're carnal or whatever, they're in another ship where Christ is not because Christ was only in one boat here. Listen, the boat or the ship of Edom can't save your soul. Or Presbyterianism or the Baptist or the Church of Ireland or Anglican or none of these ships that people trust in can save you Only the ship where Christ is, that is in Christ himself. You know the Lord Jesus was foreshadowed and pictured and foretold in the building of Noah's Ark. That all who entered in were saved and safe and secure. And God shut the door and the flood came. And they knew not until the flood came and took them all away. Thinking this old man Noah, well he's a a nutter. He's mad. It hadn't even rained yet. There's going to be a flood. What's a flood? There's going to be a deluge of rain and the fountains of the deep will open up and the skies will open up. What does that mean, Noah? I don't know, but by faith God has told me. By faith I must believe. By faith I must react and act upon it and trust him for it. He says, so he told me to build this big boat. What's a boat for, Noah? And the rains came. And only those who were in the ark Noah, his sons, and their wives, and the animals there were saved. 
Are you in the good ship Christ Jesus this morning? And maybe you're a believer who stepped onto the wrong ship. These other little ships, there's three main points I want to make. I might get the first one done. It's the longest point and do two next week. We'll see how we go here. First of all, here's what I want you to notice. The little ships sailed in common grace. I'm going to teach you a little bit of Reformed theology here. Strong stuff. Good meat for the soul. And it's going to be very simple. It's not going to be exhaustive. Common grace, what is it? Let me tell you what it isn't. Common grace is from sovereign grace. But common grace is not saving grace. Some reformers called it special grace, saving grace. Some reformers, especially the Dutch ones, called sovereign grace, or or rather common grace, they called it general grace. Common grace is grace which God in his own goodness and from his own merciful heart bestows upon his entire creation whom he loves, which he loves every day. That's common grace. One would think that if we understood common grace that would show the sinner their need of a saviour, or the Christian the need to praise or to trust. One would think that common grace would show the sinner a great and a loving creator. And so, in turn, they would see their provider, their supplier, and their need of him because he is the one whom every thing he supplies by his hand. And with a grateful heart and with a thankful heart that they would turn to the living God and trust in him, hearing the gospel of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But common grace never really, usually seems to work like that. You need saving grace, special grace. Let me give you an example of what I mean. The people outside of here today getting on their day and daily duties and maybe the best of people, the nicest of people, the most... uh, Helpful people that you'll ever meet, but not knowing Christ, they're in a different ship. They're in another little ship. There may be religious people. Maybe they'll, they'll go to church on a Sunday morning and they'll go through the, the ritual and the ceremony of it, but their heart's far from Jesus. They don't know him in a personal manner nor a personal fashion as their personal savior. It's just religion. There are ministers like that. There are people that go to the Catholic church like that week after week after week and they're in another little ship. They're not in the ship where Christ is. They're not in the ark of God. Notice this. There are people out there and today the sun is shining. Praise God for the sun shining in Northern Ireland, eh? Praise the Lord. You may get out in the sun during the afternoon and be back here at 6 o'clock because... I think it's going to rain at 6 o'clock. 
You know the Irish man in the sun and his tan is from there to there, isn't it? And on his face and a V there, the, the shirt. And his lower legs, well, if he has his shorts on, or his trousers rolled up. <laughs> but the sun that is shining on us today, and, and praise God for to see a bit of sunshine, it's also shining on the unsaved. The crops that have been planted in the field uh, or, uh, that are growing to, to feed you and I, or the trees that are growing with the fruit on it to feed you and I, they're also feeding the world. They're feeding the unsaved. So that's common grace. Common grace. In Psalm 19, verses 1 to 3, listen to what it says. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day on their speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. Verse 3 says, There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. In other words, when it's daytime here, it's nighttime in Australia. We have people who listen to us from Australia. Good evening. (laughs) In other words, the sun in the sky today, the moon that's there reflecting the sun upon Australia and that atmosphere of the world today, yeah, well, their day, their evening, and the stars that are twinkling there, the clouds that are in the sky, the birds that are flying in the air, they're saying something to us every day. In other words, they're saying, look, there's a creator. My watch and my wrist just didn't appear. I didn't go bang, and there it was. It was intricately made and created by someone. And this great timepiece of the heavens that we haven't even begun to know yet spoken by our almighty Father. And he upholds it by the same word. So it speaks already of a creator. So brother, every time you're feeling low, you're feeling down, sister, every time you're feeling weak or you're feeling discouraged, or every time you're looking to pray and you feel, Lord, where are you? Just look at what's around you. And you don't pray to what's around you. You say, Lord, thank you. This tells me you're still on the throne. This tells me you're still alive and well. This witnesses to me this morning, Lord, as a bird flies in the air, as a tree is growing and spreading out its branches, as I'm meeting my food in the morning or the evening, as I'm, as I'm going along the street and I can see life all around me and the grass is blowing with the wind, I can say, thank you, Lord, because there's a great creator. You're speaking every moment of every hour of every day to me, Lord. It should cause the man and the woman who are unsaved today now to think every time they are out and about to think of the sun to think of the moon at night, to think of the stars in the sky, to think of the grass that they walk through or cut maybe with their lawnmower or the bird that's flying or whatever it may be or the little tiny insect with all its intricate parts to say to yourself, there has to be a God. But friend, to say there's a God isn't enough. God is speaking to you every single moment of every single hour of every single day. And for you to say, I believe there's a God isn't enough. You must, you must believe that his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, came and bled and died for you and paid your full penalty and debt of your sin. Jesus done that for me. 
He went to the grave. He arose again the third day. It's enough for me. Oh, I'm a sinner in need of a saver. Christ, save me. I trust in your finished work. So there's a witness all around this globe every minute of every hour of every day. Everywhere you go. Let it ring in our hearts as believers to encourage us. And let those who have not come to saving faith in Christ, let it ring in your heart to realize that there's a God in heaven. And you're not saved. In Luke chapter 12, if you'd like to turn with me. Luke chapter 12. We all know this story well. If you let your eye run down to verse 16. The Lord Jesus spake a parable unto them, saying, a certain, a ground, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentiful. Here's this God bringing forth plenty. He's speaking to this man by bringing forth the fruit. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, thy fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Wow. The Lord Jesus says, it wasn't because this man had plenty that God said, thy fool this night, thy soul shall be required of thee. No, God had provided it in common grace for him. Enjoy it, he says. But remember who grew it. Remember who gave it. I'm going to see all what I've got. See my job or do you see my, uh, my money or do you see all my finances? And I'm going to go and I'm going to just lie back and ease and Zion as it were. I'm going to lie back at home and I'm just going to live in it all. And, you know, and I'm not going to think of God and I don't need God in my life. Or I'm going to live in sin and I'm going to spend it in the clubs or the pubs or, or whatever the people do with it. And the Lord may say to you, thy fool. This night. Not tomorrow. This night, God says, thy soul shall be required of thee. And all that stuff we fight over and argue over and work for, he says, whose will it be there? You're not rich toward me. Now, Psalm 52 and verse 7. There's a very similar saying here. Maybe the Lord is referring to this, but let me just... Turn to it and we'll read this one verse. Psalm 52, verse 7. Lo, this is the man, notice, that made not God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his wickedness. So the Lord is speaking all the time to all of us to encourage us, 
to let us know there's a God, a great creator. And that creator is also a wonderful savior. Likewise, in this world, we are under what's known as common law or natural law, where sin and sickness and death came when Adam fell. Now, you need to stay with me here. That's why Christ came to take our sin, to take our sickness and bear them on the tree. That's why he came and bled and died that you and I might live before him. You notice this. We'll not turn to it, but in Genesis 19, we're told of the story of God sending the angels to Sodom and Gomorrah, the city of, cities of wickedness before God would destroy them. And he delivers Lot out of the city. And we know the story. His daughters come with him and his wife, and his wife turns back and is turned to a pillar of salt. She hankered for uh, Sodom. In fact, she was probably from that area. But notice this. Peter mentions it in Second Peter chapter 2. And in verse 7, he says of God, And delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. Now this is important. Notice, and delivered just Lot. Not that he only, he delivered Lot only. That's not what it means here. Because he delivered his daughters too. It means the word here for just is the word for righteous. Now, Lot was in Sodom. Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. It means that Lot was on the city council, if you want, of Sodom. And it says that Lot was vexed. The idea here is he was tortured. He was tortured by the filthy conversation or the filthiness and the vileness of their lifestyle. Lot, why did you stay there? You see, I, I don't know why he stayed there, but... In God's providence and sovereignty, we must leave those things to him. But here's one thing, brother. There's places that Christians stay, and they don't need to stay there. Christians stay in bitterness sometimes. You don't need to stay there. They stay in hurt, and you don't need to stay there. They stay in unforgiveness, and you don't need to stay there. They stay, and they're they're down, and and they feel dejected, and you don't need to stay there. And they go into another little ship and this, the sin and addiction of other ships. And they, they want to sail with them, but we're not part of them. And you know, the Lord says, if you've been saved, then you're still like just lot. You mightn't like it and say, oh, I know I shouldn't be here. I'm in the world and I know Christ is calling me. And I know I shouldn't be here. You see, you'll never be satisfied if you've tasted of Christ and went back to the world. You'll never be satisfied. And I don't know how this works, but just our righteous lot, (laughs) he was awash, he was uh, infiltrated, he was overcome. You know when you go to work, and you're working with a bunch of guys, and uh, their language is a bit to be desired, and they're cursing and swearing, and you feel polluted with it? And you can't wait till lunchtime, well, that's what I used to do. Wait at lunchtime and get the Bible out. And I used to go and sit and read my Bible at lunchtime to wash my, my mind again. Sit and pray. Imagine living in this place, Sodom and Gomorrah. And listen, brothers and sisters, 
you're now living in Sodom and Gomorrah. A modern Sodom and Gomorrah. And if it doesn't vex us, if it doesn't torture us what's going on, then there's something wrong with us. Because the Holy Spirit, He is in us. You know why he's called the Holy Spirit? Because he's holy. Because he's holy. Do you know this world, we're not going to stay in this system of things, this world? Not an angel coming. One of them stayed behind with Abraham, who was a pre-Bethlehem appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the Christ manifested in flesh. He's coming for us. Himself. Himself. So I want to look at these other little ships for the word just here is very important. Remember, wherever you are, whatever storm you're in, In John 16 and verse 33, the Lord Jesus says, In the world you shall have tribulation. But be of good courage, I, notice, he, not you or I, me, I, he says, have overcome the world. These disciples with the Lord in the ship And the other little ships were all in the same storm, all at the same time, and all on the same lake or sea. Common grace is to all men, but we still live in a world where there's a common sin and evil. Christian, I have something to tell you. When you get saved, Jesus never said it was going to be easy. He says you'll be victorious. He says you'll be more than a conqueror. He says you will overcome in him. But he never said it was going to be easy. In Matthew chapter 5, if you would like to turn to it just for, we'll just lift one verse. Matthew chapter 5, please. And if you just let your eye run down to verse 45. Matthew chapter 5, verse 45. Listen to the words of the Lord. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. Notice, for he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. See the word here for just. It's the same word Peter uses for just lot or righteous lot. Just here is the word decay. And it means righteous, to be declared righteous or to be declared declared justified. And Orwell says, just as if you'd never sinned. The word unjust is the word adikas, which means obviously that you're not justified and you're unrighteous. And the Lord Jesus says he makes the sun to shine and the rain to fall on those who are righteous and those who are 
unrighteous. Let me give you a little more on the word just here. It means, gives the idea of someone observing divine laws. It means innocent, faultless, and guiltless. One whose way of thinking, feeling, and acting is wholly conformed to the will of God. And who therefore needs no rectification in the heart and life. One who is approved of or acceptable to God. Now, listen to what the Bible says about every man and every woman. Romans chapter 3 and verse 10. This is, this is what the Bible says. There is none righteous. No, not one. Now, hold on a minute. The rain's falling on the saved and the unsaved, the righteous and the unrighteous. And how do we work this out? Because when Christ comes back in Revelation 22, I think it's verse 11, he says, let him that is righteous be righteous still, or just be just still, it's the word righteous. Or him that is unjust or unrighteous, he'll be unrighteous still. In other words, I'd find you in that state and I'll judge you in that state. So if we're all unrighteous, in other words, it says here, there is none righteous, no, not one. What do we do? The word dikias can only speak and does only speak of one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only righteous one. But when you and I are in the same ship as him, as it were, when you and I have received him at Calvary, when you and I have trusted in his blood, when you and I are putting our full hope and eternal security and welfare in Christ, when you and I rest our all in him, no matter the depths of our life's sin, when we say, I see I'm a sinner and I am unrighteous, I'm unjust, and I'm living in common grace, but I want to live in special grace. Saving grace. I'll put my trust in Christ. Then you realize then this. You realize that you get into the ship where Christ says, let us pass over and go to the other side. It's his word. It's his way. It's his saying. It's putting your all, your trust in him and him alone. A few verses and I'm finished this morning. We'll do another one next week. Notice this. And Acts 24 and verse 15 tells us there's the erection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust, the righteous and the unrighteous, when we will stand before God. So where would you stand? Oh, well, I, I've let the Lord down. Listen, we all let the Lord down. If for someone here you have never let the Lord down as a Christian, would you raise your hand? Good. None of us has raised a hand. Every one of us let him down. That's why we live in grace. Grace. Romans 5 and 19 says, For by one man's disobedience, talking about Adam, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one, the Lord Jesus, shall many be made righteous. 
The word there for disobedience means failing to listen when God was speaking. Adam, of all the trees you may take of the garden, of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, it's in the midst of the garden, thou shalt not eat us thereof, for the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And Adam and Eve went and they ate off it, and death came, sin came, sickness came. Jesus comes, and the word therefore by one man's obedience shall many be made righteous, shall many be made decious. The word there means we will be in full standing before God with no sin marked upon us. The word there for obedience means coming under the authority and listening to the word of God in its fullness. You and I feel at that all the time miserably. But Christ is the vessel, the ark that we're in, trusting in him. And it means when we're in him, the father looks at me the Father looks at you, and he, uh, yes, there's many faults, and there's many things that we need to get right, and there's many things we meet, need to do better, uh, and all of those things can be added, but when he sees it, he sees none of it. He sees Christ. He sees a son. He sees a daughter. He sees you, declares you, you're just as if you'd never sinned. So the question is this morning, are you in another little ship? Trusting in something else or not trusting in anything or not believing? Are you in the same ship where Christ has let us pass over onto the other side? Because once he speaks his word into your life, you're saved. And a man and a woman, as soon as you and I came to Christ, and whenever we nailed our, our colors to the mast, as it were, and received him at the repentance of our sin, when we bowed the knee before him and proclaimed him as our Savior, as our Lord and our God over all, and as soon as we did that in our lives, whatever place and point in time that was, let me tell you, brothers and sisters, as soon as you and I did that, the word of God entered us, the spirit of the Lord entered us. As soon as you did, you were sealed by the Holy Ghost. You're marked for eternity. Mark for eternity. And when Jesus says, Him that cometh unto me, I will no wise cast out, He means it. When He says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, He means it. It cannot be reversed. When He says to you, and when He says to me that you and I are righteous and justified and forgiven and washed and cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, He means it. And you and I will stand no longer in a place of judgment. But many are in another ship. They didn't hear that as pass over to the other side. They didn't receive the word. Hebrews 10 and 38 and Galatians 3 and verse 11 says this line. Martin Luther heard it. Martin Luther heard it and he wrote the 95 Theses and he nailed them the 31st of October 1517 to the door of Wittenberg Cathedral in Germany. Doing indulgences for paying for sin and works added to faith. They were in another little ship. They were in a big sinking ship. And this is what it says, the just, the righteous. The just, 
that the kios, the righteous, shall live by faith. It's not who you are. It's not, well, I have to do this first. It's not what we do or where we go. It's the just, the, those who receive Christ by faith, the righteous will live by faith. Brothers and sisters, seeing you go out today, say, Lord, maybe your life's a mess. Maybe it's going good. Praise God, whatever way. But you're going, Lord, my life's a mess, and I'm in troubled waters. Look up at the sun, or even if a cloud's covering it, look at the bird in flight in the tree and say, but you're my great creator, God. You uphold all things by the word of your power, and I know I'm in the right boat because I'm in Christ. God bless his word, do as we'll do, and the Lord's will. Part two next week. Thank you for your attention this morning. The Lord bless you.